Wonderful, wonderful. You may be seated. Uh, as I said earlier, these uh, messages are designed to get you to think beyond the material world around you, that, that world that you can experience with your senses, and challenge you to encounter and recognize and maybe even interact with the supernatural world that's around you. <clears throat> You'll become more acquainted with that spiritual world from the pages of your Bible. When I say encounter a spiritual world, start on the pages of your Bible. That's where your eyes will be open to the world that's actually around you. Uh, uh, Just to make the introduction very short this morning, in the past weeks we've established some things, and uh, having established those things, we can move forward very quickly this morning, having established that angels absolutely do exist, having established that they have personalities, they are individuals, they are unique, having established that they have free will and emotions, that they think for themselves, that they are not all alike, having established that they have different assignments, and you'll begin to see that even more in the next few weeks, having established that they have different functions, uh, different missions, if you would. This morning, we'll move a little further and try to understand that there actually are different kinds of angels. And I'm going to tell you up front, the wording may be imprecise when we actually see what's on the other side. So bear with me as I talk about angel classification to get us started this morning. I'm going to refer to different types of angels. But even as I refer to different types of angels, I'm not sure that calling them angels is even the correct nomenclature. Does that make sense? There are living beings out there The Bible refers to them or some of them as angels. There are several types of them listed in the scripture. I'm not sure if calling them all angels is even the right uh, classification or nomenclature. They may technically be something other than angels, but for now... Let me call them angels, because after all, we're a creation of a lower order with limited intelligence and limited ability, so I think if I ask for a little grace right here, you can understand what what I'm saying to you. The Bible talks about a type of being, let's say a type of angel, because I don't know what other word to use, a type of angel called cherubim, if you live in Texas. Now... Uh, cherub would be the singular, a cherub. The cherubim would be the plural in Scripture, okay? Uh, We actually mispronounce it. It's actually cherub. But it's like everything else in, you know what I'm saying, in the South, they're cherubs or cherubim. So I can't mess with you, I know. So we're talking about the cherubim for a minute. The cherubim... Uh, Their assignment, I'm not totally clear, but I tell you what I know. They are a special type of angel, if that's the right word, 
or being, and these cherubim are right there at the throne of God. Either they are a part of the throne mechanism of God, they are a part of guarding the glory of God, they are maybe like secret, I don't know, secret service, but where God is in, where God exists on a throne, not that he can't be everywhere, you understand, this is tough, but where God's throne is, there are the cherubim. How about that? That's the way to say it. Where God's throne is, there are the cherubim. But then I have to pause and say, really, God's throne is also right here. You understand? So, you, but you understand if I said geographically, and I'm not sure geography is the right word either, in the dimension where God's throne, wherever God's throne is, these cherubim are there. And we know this from Scripture. I don't know if they're guarding the throne of God. Does God need bodyguards? You see, I don't know what language to use. I don't know that God needs bodyguards. But there they are, guarding the glory of God. And I'll show you why I say it that way. Because way, way in ancient history, there was a thing called the tabernacle that Moses built. Do you remember that? It was a temporary place of worship that Israel was mobile. You know, it was, it was, a, it was, a, it was a house of worship for those going camping. The problem is that Israel camped for decades, Okay. And, and they, they moved the house of God with them. It was a tent. You could strike it, rebuild it. And, and uh, it was a mobile place of worship until Solomon built the, the hardened structure of the temple in Jerusalem. But both of those temples where the mercy seat or the presence of God came down into the tabernacle and temple, the cherubim were there. How about that? So when you see the Ark of the Covenant, let me read from Exodus right now. Uh, can you go back to that real quick? So I want you, if you're not familiar with this, this was, I'm sorry, if you're not familiar with this, it's a, it's a little wooden box, and in that wooden box, overlaid with pure gold, it's not a big thing, it's like this, overlaid with pure gold, there's a beaten crown of pure gold, that, was, that little thing around the top's a crown, represents a crown, that lid comes off, and in that box are the literal Ten Commandments, like the stone tablets, okay, are in the Ark of the Covenant. There's a bowl of manna. It's a whole other discussion. Inside the Ark of the Covenant, okay? Uh, Aaron's rod that budded. Aaron's staff is in that box. Anyway, there are some, I'm, I don't know what word to use. I'm going to use the word relics. There are some ancient relics of of Israel in that box pertaining to things God did. And on top of that box, when you put the lid on it, uh, there are two cherubs. You see the cherubim? They're kneeling like this, and their wings are folded forward. Do you see it now? And their face is down in honor and the presence of God would come right down upon that box and right through the roof and out into the top, a pillar of fire right in the camp of Israel, okay? So when I say the cherubim are there, they're at the throne of God. This is a picture of God, Christ. It's a picture of the throne of God is what this really, what, what you're dealing with right here. And they're trying to get, when God comes down upon this in his presence, 
it's signifying what's, what's literal somewhere else, okay? I think that explains. Exodus 25. And you shall make two cherubim of gold. Of hammered work shall you make them. At the two ends of the mercy seat on the lid of the, the box. Make one cherub on the one end and one cherub on the other end. Of one piece with the mercy seat shall you make the cherubim on its two ends. In other words, they're not figurines you can take off and your kids can play with in the back room. They're built into the thing. One piece this thing is. 20. The cherubim shall spread out their wings above, overshadowing the mercy seat with their wings. Their faces one to another toward the mercy seat shall the faces of the cherubim be. You understand? They're bowing. They're looking down. There's a kind of a uh, reverence, is that a, a good word? Reverent uh, posture before the throne of God. That's why I say where the throne of God, where God is sitting there are uh, the cherubim. So I think when you have a reason, you should have a reasonable expectation <clears throat> that when your feet hit the street of gold and you with eyes behold the throne of God, you should expect to see the cherubim right there. Does that make sense? All right. There's another classification. This one's tougher. These are the seraphim. Seraph would be the singular. The seraphim would be the plural. I'm reading from Isaiah 6. In the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seeing a vision. The prophet sees a vision. I saw the Lord high and lifted up upon the throne. And the train of his robe filled the temple. And above him stood the seraphim, plural. Each, had, each one had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The earth is full of his glory. And Isaiah said, The pillars of the house shook at the voice of those beings that cried out. Now, Again, the seraphim show up again, not directly referred to as seraphim. I'll let you decide if they're seraphim after what I just read. But they're flying around the throne of God. There's more than one of them. It looks like there's at least four of them flying around the throne of God. I don't even know if calling these angels is the right classification. Uh, uh, John's going to refer to them in the book of Revelation as creatures. In old KJV, beasts. Don't even know what, I don't know if John knew what to call them. Wait till I just read them for you. I'm not, you'd call it the horror show is what you'd call it. And uh, it looks like the seraphim fly around the throne of God praising God. There's some type of worship leaders, praise leaders, heralds in the court of God that, that magnify the glory of God. Let me, before I read this passage to you, show you a picture. You know what that is. What country are we in right now? And this is the Sphinx of Egypt. These are these ancient pyramids and this ancient Sphinx. These are things that history still has trouble explaining to us. Still has trouble explaining these things to us. Let me show you another picture. You ever seen this? This is the Assyrian Lamassu. Let me show it to you again. Ox, body, wings, on an ox, eagle wings, ox, body, man, head. Go again. We have another one? Okay. Back up one. 
Yeah, ox foot still. This is the Lamassu. Okay, so I just want to be sure. This is Assyrian. This is middle, more Middle East, East Middle East. Egypt has the Sphinx. Sphinx, come back up to the Sphinx. I, I should have researched this. I think it's half lion, lion body, man head. Okay? You're, when you see these, you're like, well, these people were creative. Were they? We'll go to Lamassu again. One more. Who dreams that up? Have you seen the Geico commercial with a guy's half motorcycle? Okay. Okay, Motor All right. Yeah, he drinks gasoline, doesn't he? All right. What I'm saying is when you see this, you think mythology. You know, you think ancient cultures and, and their gods and their mythology. Whenever you connect to idolatry, there's always demons behind it. When I say demon, the only thing I know to say is fallen angel. When I say fallen angel, the only thing I know to tell you is spirit world out there and not everything looks like you think it looks. This may not be as creative as you think. Somebody may have seen something. I'm reading now from the book of Revelation. Revelation 4, and before the throne, there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. And around the throne and on each side of the throne are four living creatures. They are full of eyes in front and behind. All right, you lost me right there. When you meet a creature that's covered in eyeballs on both sides of of his being, the first living creature is like a lion, the second is like an ox, the third has the uh, living creature with the face of a man, and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them have six wings, and they are full of eyes all around and within. I don't guess there's any sneaking up on these guys, is there? And day and night, 24-7, from what I can understand, as long as they've been created, they fly around the throne of God and cry out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. So whatever these things are that we're getting glimpses of, they're somehow involved in constant worship and praise to the Creator God that we worship. Angel classification. There's something called an archangel. And, and, and here again, I'll let you try to figure out for yourself. The archangel is mentioned only twice in the scripture. I'm going to read them. First Thessalonians 4, 16. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with the cry of a command and with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God shall sound and the dead in Christ shall rise. And we were always taught by wives' fable or by religion, uh, uh, that who will blow his horn? Never called Gabriel in the Bible. It just says the archangel, the voice of the archangel and the trump of God. So we made a leap to Gabriel because we know there's someone called Gabriel that shows up and makes announcements in the New Testament, right? Remember back to Christmas now. Uh, fear not Mary, you know what I'm saying? I'm Gabriel who stands in the presence of God. I've come to give you an announcement. Now, uh, we don't know many angel names, and there's a reason for that. Because we don't want temples built to them and worship to go. And, and you know what I'm saying? I understand why God didn't give us a lot of names. We have a few names. Lucifer, Gabriel, Michael, 
Revelation, Abaddon, Apollyon, but that's a whole other thing we'll talk about, okay? The destroyer of children. It's a bad, bad scene over there in Revelation. But you only have like three or four names, and there's a reason you do. Because you don't want to get pulled into summoning those angels and worshiping them and channeling their power and, and all. That's not what this is designed for. It's not what this is about, etc. Now, the archangels mentioned twice. There is the word in Thessalonians, but it's not a connected exactly to which one. Let me read the second one. Jude, there's only one chapter, verse 9. But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil was disputing about the body of Moses. He did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, the Lord rebuke you. Now that verse in Jude is the only verse where specifically Michael is called an archangel. Does that make sense? I mean, we have an archangel named now in Jude 1 verse 9. But here is the, I'll let you use your own discernment passage. The book of Daniel makes an allusion to chief princes, plural. Let me read you the verse. Because many, many theologians believe this is an inference to the other archangels. Okay? Daniel 10, verse 13. The prince of the kingdom of Persia. This is a fallen angel. So when your kids are playing the video game Prince of Persia, I just want you to know that's named after a demon. It's named after a fallen angel. So be really careful about a few of those things, okay? I'm not against video games. I'm just saying, be, be careful about some of this. This is a real entity that exists. When the prince of Persia uh, withstood me, this is an angel talking. An angel is talking to Daniel, and an angel saying, I've been trying to deliver the answer to your prayer requests, but I got Shanghai, I got ambushed, by the prince of Persia on my way to deliver the answer to your prayer request. And I've been in a running battle with him. Well, read the verse. He withstood me for how long? 21 days. For the better part of three, three weeks, I've been in a knockdown, drag-out altercation with the prince of Persia. Why the prince of Persia? Daniel's in Persia. He's in the Babylonian captivity. It's Persia. You, you see what I mean? He's under that... He's in the Middle East, and the top dog on Satan's command structure over where Daniel is, is preventing the angels from coming to minister to Daniel, blocking them, fighting against them. Let's let the angel speak for himself. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days, but Michael, one of the chief princes, now do you see the allusion to other archangels? One of the chief princes came to help me, for I was left there with the kings, now plural, of Persia. Now, there's whole theologies written on this, but let me just say to you, you'll see even more in a minute. Satan has a command structure, and God has a command structure, and the heavenly host and the fallen host are organized, and they're in running strategic battle against each other. And the book of Daniel pulls back the curtain for a minute and lets you hear a conversation happening between these beings and this warfare that they're engaged in, saying as we execute God's will, we're being withstood by these satanic forces, and I'm trying to minister to you for 21 days. I've been trying to bring you the answer to your prayer. You know what that tells me? The angel told Daniel, the day you prayed, you had the answer. 
but I couldn't get it to you for three weeks. I just want to give you a shout out this morning. Listen, if you've been praying for something and you feel like, well, God's just not answering my prayer. He is. He is. He promised he would. As you read the New Testament, he said, I hear, I delight to grant your request. I love to take care of my children. But you have to constantly understand the setting in which we live. This is not a playground. This is a battlefield. And you are now on the other side. And you have an enemy who opposes everything God is trying to do on planet earth through his children. So a lot of insight from Daniel chapter 10. Michael, who's clearly an archangel, in this text is declared to be one of the chief princes. The implication, I'll let you make your own decisions on this, is that there are several archangels, which means over top layer of command, if you would, angelic beings now some religious traditions teach that there's four archangels some religious tradition let me just pause here this is a stained glass window shot right out of a church in europe do you see what you're seeing saint michael look at him spearing the dragon fighting against the dragon you understand the imagery suggested by that here is saint gabriel There's a little city behind him on the ground. Why? Because he comes to earth, to Bethlehem, to the Nazareth, and delivers messages. Here's St. Raphael. Raphael, the archangel, not mentioned in the Bible, uh, but but mentioned in the Deuterocanical book of Tobit. This is not a book in your Bible. This is Deuterocanical, means it's, uh, it's books that are ancient books, They did not canonize them and put them in the Bible because they're not sure or they don't jive with the rest of Scripture, okay? He's mentioned in that one of those books, okay? So a lot of people believe there's another archangel named Raphael. Matter of fact, Raphael, if you ever see a religious tradition that believes in three, those will be the three. If you see a religious tradition that believes in four, they'll put Uriel... Uh, A lot of the Jewish traditions put Uriel as an archangel, and they'll put the four together. When you go into some, if you're touring Europe, and you go into some churches, you'll see seven. You may see seven panes like this in a church. And they they have names and, and all kinds of stuff for archangels. Now, many of the Protestants believe only in Michael as an archangel, okay? And they're very dogmatic about it. I might have been a long time ago before I really studied Daniel. But then when I see one of the chief princes and I see Gabriel's name being mentioned in the Bible, I'm thinking, okay, when God's got a a message to deliver, he sends the secretary of state. You know what I'm saying? To a foreign country, and that's the duty sends right there. And and we see that in the New Testament. I'm I'm buying that. Uh, Raphael's mentioned in a non-canonized book of the Scripture, uh, deuterocanonical book I don't know and I just have to tell you this morning I don't know uh, maybe other people hold those things to be as valid as scripture I can't go that far this morning but what I know is Daniel said Michael's one of the chief princes the big takeaway for me is that God is organized there is a hierarchy let me say it a different way since they're called the host of heaven army of heaven there is a command structure there are assignments and listen Whenever you have a command structure or a, a, a hierarchical or organizational structure like at your work, it means somebody's accountable. 
Somebody has to give report. Somebody has to do a job, be accountable to see it through to the end, come back and report on was it done or not. That type of accountability and structure is what you see woven into the creation of whatever God created in the supernatural spiritual world out here. It's not just mayhem. How about that? It's organized. There's communication. There's thoughtfulness. Here's what a big takeaway I want you to get, Daniel 10. There's interaction between the spiritual world and the material world. The angels, the supernatural, are interacting with Daniel in response to prayers that are going up to God and God saying, yes, yes, no, yes, go, dispatch. It's like a giant switchboard being, being organized and messages going and people moving. It's a humongous operation. That brings us to the primary classification, which is what, guess, we would talk about in Sunday school or church or wherever, Bible says, angels. There is just a group of spiritual beings, and they're referred to just by this word, angels. And I read you, you know, a half a dozen references last week where Jesus said, I could call 12 legions of angels. Uh, don't abuse the children. Their, their angels always behold the face of my Father. Almost like some accountability is happening there with the ones they're charged to care for. So there is the classification just of angels. Now, let's shift very quickly because time is not our friend. And let's talk about the fall of angels. And, and again, this is a philosophical, theological subject that is very deep and very complicated. And I'm going to oversimplify it on purpose for sake of time. Where did the devil come from? Where did Satan come from? Well, Lucifer sinned. Lucifer is one of these beings created by God. We have hints in Scripture as to what his position was in this hierarchy. And Lucifer was not content to be one of the princes or one of the you know, cabinet members of Almighty God. He's incredibly beautifully made. He's incredibly gifted. He's incredibly made. And you can just imagine when you've seen, you've seen God's creation. You see what I'm saying? You've seen a sunset. You've seen a rainbow-colored lizard. I showed you a few weeks. You've seen what God can do. And these are the lower life forms. What you haven't seen is the other higher life forms that exist. And if a sunset's magnificent, you can't imagine what's on the other side, is what I'm saying to you. And Satan was so lifted up, let me use a different word, Lucifer was so lifted up with who he was that he said, you know, being in the cabinet is cool, but being the commander-in-chief is cooler. And maybe I can get some of these other cabinet members to come with me, and let's just overthrow this whole system and take charge. Now, I'm going to read it to you right out of the Bible in just a second, and I know I'm oversimplifying. Where did Satan come from? Well, Lucifer sinned willfully with no one to tempt him, uh, and thereby he introduced evil into the creation, if you would. People will often ask, it's one of the most asked questions by the unsaved world, if God made everything including Lucifer, Satan, the devil, why would God design his creation with the ability for sin or the capacity to evil to come into the creation? 
If God is good and loving, then why would he design a creation that evil could invade in this way? Why would he, why did God, here's the way the question Jesus asked, Pastor, why did God make the devil? Well, God didn't make the devil is the answer. God made a fantastic being called Lucifer. And Lucifer, with no one to send him but his own pride and ego and arrogance, he sinned willfully and he introduced evil in. God's creation, both angels and mankind, I want to remind you, are created with free will. It's very clear in the scripture. We know they have free will because some of them chose to go against God. They exercise their power of choice. We know Adam and Eve have free will because they exercised it. It's very clear in Genesis chapter 3. We watch them exercise their power of choice. I know I have free will, having been born a sinner into this world, having been born depraved into this world, I exercise my free will to put my trust in Jesus Christ. Anybody here ever done that? Amen. You exercise, you say, how do I know I have free will? Because you've exercised it, I I hope, by now. And even this week and, and the last few weeks, we've watched people exercise their free will and choose Jesus, choose to serve Jesus. The Bible says you will serve someone. Whatever you submit yourself to will be your mouth. You will choose to serve someone. And being a follower of Christ means we've chosen to bend the knee and call him Lord. We've chosen Christ. We've exercised our free will. So in God's creation, we're not the only one with free will. Uh, The other spiritual beings have free will as well. Now let me get right to the nitty gritty. You're created with free will and therefore the capacity to love. Love is the supreme ethic in this universe. And you cannot love without free will. Now I want you to imagine having children who can't choose to love you. They're pre-programmed as robots. Daddy, I love you. They have no power to choose. They're just made that way. Imagine if you had no power to choose, you're just programmed to behave a certain way. You don't like the sound of that. No, you, you, you like the power of free will. And, and nothing is more fascinating to us than for your child to come up into your lap and take your, your, your face between their little hands and look right into your eyes and say, Daddy, I love you. Mama, I love you. And you realize no one's forcing them to love you. They are choosing to love you. There's nothing more fulfilling in that. There's nothing more fulfilling than for a brother to put their arms around you or a sister to put their arms around you and express their love for you. No one's making them. Listen, there's nothing so fascinating as a people so diverse as us with so many different backgrounds and education levels and histories and stories as us who come together and choose to love one another because we are the body of Christ. It's fascinating. No one makes you love each other. You choose to love one another. That's a universe filled with free will and love cannot exist in a universe where there is no free will. So what God said is I love you and I want you to choose to love me so I have to give you, have to give you strongly, I choose to give you free will. I'm not going to force you to love me and call me Lord. I'm going to give you the power to exercise your own free Will. Now, here's what we know. Somewhere before Genesis 3, Lucifer fell and became, let me use this word, the Satan with a capital S, the big one. Not just a fallen angel, but the, the big one. He became the Satan somewhere prior to Genesis 3. Now, theologians argue it in circles, and the truth is no one knows. Okay, I'm going to be honest with you. No one knows. 
before creation, right after creation? Uh, did, did Adam and Eve live in the Garden of Eden for a long period of time and the fall happened in there? Uh, were the angels completely uh, enraged when God made planet earth and then made a man and told the man and the woman, you are the king and queen of planet earth? Did the other powerful angels like Lucifer say, what? What? What are we? Well, I want you all to minister to these people. What? These are beings of a lower order. Do you want us to minister to them? Do you understand the tension that could be created here? And I don't know, so I can't teach it because I just don't know. But I'll let you use your imagination. Somewhere before Genesis 3, this fall happened. Now let me read you biblical content to back that up in the next three or four minutes. You ready? Isaiah 14. How are you fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn? You see the capital letters. This is a proper, this is a title. This is the individual we're reading about. Christina, can you all put this on the side as well? Can you put uh, Isaiah 14 on the side right here? Is that doable or am I asking too much? I don't know if that's even possible. Okay. No, the the verse form. Uh, Isaiah 14, 12 to 15. Perfect. You're genius. How are you fallen from heaven, O day star, son of the dawn? How are you cut down to the ground who laid the nations low? Go ahead. 13. Just advance it. You said in your heart... I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. Whenever you see stars of God, be careful. Because it may not mean Big Dipper. It may mean spiritual being. Okay? I'm just going to cost you on that. Uh, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne. You understand what's happening? Whoever is speaking right here, O day star, whoever is speaking right here says, I'm going to put my throne above the stars of God. I'll set my throne on high. I will sit on the mountains of the assembly in the far reaches of the north. 14. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. 15. But you are brought down to Sheol, brought down to hell. That's what the Bible says in the old KJV verses, to the far reaches of the pit. You understand what just happened? Some created being said, I'm going to the top and taking control. And God said, not just no. You're not going up to take control. You're getting cast down to earth. Now, here's the struggle. I put the comparative up for you. I'm going right back to the verses we just read. Show you the first verse. Let's go KJ, old, in, in KJV. How are you fallen from heaven? Do you see it? Now watch all the other versions. How are you fallen from heaven, O day star? How are you fallen from heaven, morning star, son of the dawn? How are you fallen from heaven, morning star, son of the dawn? The old, old Bibles use the word Lucifer right there. Now let me see if I can explain why. We have a lot of difficulty translating the Hebrew word, halal, that sits behind day star. Halal, sorry. Light bearer, is, this is the definition in the Hebrew dictionary. Light bearer, shining one, morning star, Lucifer. Those are the definitions in the Hebrew dictionary of that word. And that's the word in Isaiah chapter 14. So whoever's talking and saying, I'm going to take control of the universe, the proper capitalized name, day star or Lucifer, they're speaking of the person. They're described as the light bearer said. 
the day star said. Lucifer, you understand how, and that's why when you read different Bible verses, you're like, wow, one says morning star, son of the dawn. Well, have you ever looked up at a star? You know what it does? It shines. That's the whole point. The sun is a star. Let me just get all serious science on you. The sun is a star. And if you stare at it, it burns your eyeballs up, okay? And when we say, if you want to say, gosh, these lights are brighter than the sun, whenever we use language that way, we're saying it's the brightest thing you could imagine. Am I putting this in context for you? Whatever this being is, he emits light, okay? He glow, he's, he's bright and shining, uh, and I'll talk more about it next week. He's bright and shining and uh, can change appearances, a whole other lesson coming. And uh, he's called the light bearer or the morning star or the son of the dawn or Lucifer. Uh, matter of fact, I, I, I want to say it may be French. I should have looked that up. I'm sorry. But the word Lucifer, uh, I, I remember I bought a big old pack of fireplace matches. You remember those foot-long jobs, the wooden matches you can buy in the old days before we had the click, click, click thing? You know, big old matches we used to have around our fireplace. And I remember I bought a box once, and it had fireplace matches written all over the outside of the box in like five different languages. You know, luminaires or something. You know what I'm saying? And one of the words on the outside of the box was Lucifer's. Light bearer. It's Dutch. Thank you for your gift. Light. It's a light bearer. It's a shining, emitting light. It's a torch. Okay. Now I don't want to just, I need to stop for sake of time. But you understand we're dealing with something that glows and is bright and it emanates a brightness and a light. I'm reading from Ezekiel the prophet now. This is written to the king of Tyrus. It definitely has something to do with Satan not just the king of Tyrus. Listen carefully. O son of man, raise a lamentation over the king of Tyre and say to him, thus says the Lord God, you were the signet of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering, sardis, topaz, diamond, beryl, onyx, jasper, sapphire, emerald, carbuncle, And crafted in gold were your settings and your engravings. On the day that you were created, they were prepared. I'm pausing the reading. Whatever these beings are, they're created beings. They have not always been. I'm going back to last week. They were created by the hand of God. If you think God can make a a, a beautiful gazelle, a nice striped zebra, an interesting giraffe... What was Dr. Seuss's? A push you pull me? You know what I'm saying? Half a llama going this way. and half, I mean, God's made some, you know, you know I, I understand. I digress, sorry. Uh, God's made some amazing things in nature. You haven't even seen the most amazing. Are you with me? That's all I'm saying. I want to read the next verse carefully. 14. You were an anointed guardian. Say it out loud. Yeah, you're tracking with me. You say, what was he before he became the Satan? Well, here it says you were the anointed guardian cherub. Now, I don't know everything about a cherub, but I know they're supposed to have humility. They dwell in the light of God's throne, and they are right there. wherever God's, They are right there wherever God's throne is, which means that I don't even know how language, so you bear with me. I'm a species of a lower order, so bear with me. Have some grace on me. 
maybe he was the Secretary of State. You understand what I'm saying? If God's God of the universe, he's the Prime Minister. He's right there at the throne of God, and he's referred to here as the anointed guardian cherub. I placed you, you were in the holy mountain of God. In the midst of the stones of fire you walked. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created till unrighteousness was found in you. In the abundance of your trade you were filled with violence in your midst and you sinned. So I cast you as a profane thing from the mountain of God. I destroyed you, O guardian cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Your heart was proud because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I exposed you before kings to feast their eyes on you. For sake of time, let me move quickly. It appears from Scripture that Satan convinced at least one-third of the heavenly host to go with him. I'm not talking about a creature with no influence. I'm talking about he's so slick and powerful and convincing, energetic, swayful. One-third of the angels sided with Lucifer in the attempted coup to overthrow God. But instead of being overthrown, God overthrew them. They fell from their estate down to this earth. These angels are now the enemies of God. And they, they are the enemies of God's children. And they are engaged in warfare to control this universe. I'm reading scripture now. Revelation chapter 12. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on his head seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars. Cautious reading of stars here, because we know what this is. His tail swept a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she delivered the child, immediately the dragon might devour it. Is that picture painted in your mind? I'll let you come Wednesday night. Miss Leah, can you explain what that means to them on Wednesday night? Who is the woman and who is the child that she's about to give birth to? Revelation 12, 7. Now war arose in heaven. Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels, what was their response? They fought back. But he was, say it out loud, it's good for your soul. He was defeated. I just want you to know what side you're on. And I want to be sure if you haven't chosen a side, you choose the right side in this conflict. A lot of times we look at this world, David said this, I see the unrighteous being blessed. I see wicked people advancing in this world. And I'm wondering what in the world's going on. Listen, it's upside down. It's inside out. This is what sin did to this world. This is the conflict we're in. And this is the coming setting of things right that's going to happen. It's all going to be reversed at some point. But there's this massive war in heaven. And he was defeated and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down. Where do you think he's thrown down to? Earth. The ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan the deceiver of the whole world. And he was thrown down to earth and his angels were thrown down with him. 
And I just want to look around and say, yeah, thanks a lot. Now, this is the world in which you live. You say, I wish I could see what was going on around me. Do you? Do you really? I don't know that we'd get any sleep tonight is what I'm saying. We're already nervous wrecks and we're on Prozac and everything else. You know what I'm saying? Could we really take that as well? I just want us to say this. Whatever God is doing, just trust him. Trust him that you have the abilities you need and those that you don't have, you don't need right now. Because it just messed with your head. But there's a, a warfare going on around us. And we are not to focus on the warfare so much. Be aware of it. But we're to be focused on the mission we are set to do. In other words, there's a warfare fighting so that you are able to do the mission you've been called to do. And I want to just challenge you, that mission is not to come to church on Sunday, punch the clock, and turn it off for seven days. The mission you're called to do is live out the life of Christ seven days a week, and you have angelic hosts fighting for you and protecting and caring and pushing back the die so that you can do what God's called you to do. And Satan's locked in a battle right now for control of the universe. God has his angels. Satan has his angels. One's an army of evil. One's an army of righteousness. One's an army of hate. One's an army of love. One's an army devoted to Satan and his agenda. One is an army devoted to God and his mission. One is an army to persecute God's children, and one is an army to protect God's children. All right, my time's getting away now. I'm almost done. Here's my last thought. I want to show you the power structure of the universe, and as I show it to you, my disclaimer is I'm 100% sure it's probably not right. But I want to remind you I'm a created being of a little lower order, and I only have partial knowledge. When we get to the other side, come and see me. After the rapture, and I'll, I'll get it right for you, okay? But this is the best I've got right now. Let me show you the power structure of the universe. Can we all agree God goes on top? All right, I'm good with that. There's something called cherubim and seraphim. If they're angels, maybe, maybe they're not. I don't even know what to call them. But they sit somewhere right at the throne of God. Uh, and, and I don't know if, I, I, let's put Michael the archangel up there. Call him the secretary of state, minister of defense. How about that? Minister of defense. And, and, and maybe, maybe I need to reverse the archangels and the cherubim and seraphim. If you know better, you can enlighten me after church, okay? I just don't know what order to put them in. But this is, I'm just kind of working from the throne down. How about that? Cherubim, seraphim, Michael. There is Gabriel, maybe the Secretary of State, delivers messages for God, communicates officially on behalf of the throne of God. There is something just called angels, no discredit to them because one angel kills 185,000 men one night. That's nothing to sneeze at. So I don't want to, no disrespect for sure. And then I also know from the writing of Paul in Colossians that not only God's side is organized, but Satan's side is organized in armies. And there's something referred to as thrones. And from Daniel, we understand that these are angels of international power. Now, stay with me now. Don't, don't get fuzzy now. I know you're getting mentally tired. The United States of America has an angel. Israel has an angel. UK has an angel. I'm not sure if Germany would. <laughs> Germany has an angel. I'm just messing with you. That's just for B. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. And, and what I'm saying is there are international powers. Just think government. You see what I'm saying? 
Okay, the Bible says there's something called dominions. Okay, think angels of, of uh, national, just come down a little bit, power. Principalities, angels of regional power. Would you be happy for me to say it this way? Texas has an angel. He probably conceal carries. <laughs> I'm just saying. You wonder why some states are so thriving? And some states in the same union with all the same opportunities and, and great natural resources, some states are not thriving. Just, I just want you to, I, these sermons, have I mentioned this, are designed to make you think, that's all. Stretch you a little bit. There are powers, maybe that's the greater foot soldiers of heaven. There's something in this universe called mankind. Are you getting my gist now where you are on the org chart? There's something in this universe called the animal kingdom to which mankind is superior to. I'm reading Psalms 8. What is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings. Pause. You see it? The psalmist said, you've made us lower than the heavenly beings, yet you've crowned him with glory and honor. You've given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep, all oxen, all the beasts of the field, all the birds of heaven, all the fish of the sea, whatever passes through the paths of the sea. Oh, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. That's a song they used to sing. It talked about where we were in the hierarchy. So let me wrap it this way. Humans are made lower than angels. Food for thought. So when God incarnated his son into human flesh and sent his son into the womb of Mary to be born in Bethlehem, sometimes a picture does us good. I want you to think about that for a minute. When, when Jesus who is at the top of the org chart of the universe, came into this world as a man. He was going from the top of the org chart to the bottom of the power structure. Can you imagine how vulnerable you would feel stepping from the top to the bottom knowing that there are billions of angels sitting in the middle who want to kill you? How do you know they want to kill you? Because a third of them already tried. And now you're not enthroned as you once were. Now you're put into a human form that's easy to knock off. Easy to kill. Our human life's a little more fragile, isn't it? Now when I talk to you about the cross at Easter, and when we talk more about the crucifixion and God laying down his life, you say, wow, they killed him. That was his destiny. When you step off that throne into a hostile universe and come down to this end, there was only one possible outcome. There was only one possible outcome. And God protected him until the moment came. And you remember when Jesus was hanging on the cross, you remember what he said? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Yeah, if God took his hand off for one minute... 
we'd be in the same situation. Now, I'm not saying that to to make you fret or to fear, but I'm challenging you this morning to understand what what would motivate God to go from the top to the bottom. Well, you'd really have to love somebody to do something like that. You'd really, really have to love your creation. You'd really have to love people to go from being at the top of the org chart to be like the people you created, knowing that you're going to have to die for the people that you made in a hostile universe where all the guns are pointed right at you. Yeah, and that was God's motivation. Let me give you some encouraging news before you leave. My last scripture. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. I'm going to send you home with some happy news this morning. Do not fret about one single thing. You couldn't control it with your worry anyway. Don't worry about one single thing because God is protecting you and nothing, not even angels or powers or principalities or height or depth or any other creature shall separate you from the love of God which is in Jesus Christ. Can I challenge you though with something before you leave? I'm asking you this morning, would you please be considerate of your protective detail? They are assigned to go with you wherever you go. Let that marinate. Where do you take them? Into what situations do you interject them? Is your protective detail getting beat up because of your lifestyle and because of your associations? Are you dragging them into a situation where they are grossly outnumbered because of your choices? Let me give you another view. Can you imagine... How your angels must rejoice when you come in to worship God like this. Do you ever come in here and feel a sense of relief and fellowship and lightness that maybe you don't feel during the week? Especially when we're singing praises to God and pouring out our work. Do you ever feel a sense of something, some lightness, some feeling that you don't have during the week? Who knows how many angels are here right now? And when we're singing praises to God, listen, maybe for five minutes they can sit down and catch their breath. Maybe they high-five each other when we start pouring out our praise to God. The Bible says that God inhabits the praises of his people. Where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I in the midst of them. Listen, when we begin to come together in community like this and worship God, this is a little piece of heaven on earth. Heaven has touched earth right here in this room when we worship. 
all I'm saying to you is let's do more of that. Let, let's be mindful that when we come together around the kitchen table and open the word of God and pray for one another and learn about God, you understand that's a kind of a community of camaraderie. That There's also some correspondent thing happening in the unseen world around you. Let's do more of that in 2020. Let me also say this morning, I'm sure that they would rejoice at you joining a body like this to walk with week by week and day by day with. Come and be a part of this church. And that's really my invitation this morning. We're going to sing a closing song in just a second. If you need to be a member of this church, you should come and join with me. If you need to be baptized, there's a baptism class that will happen this Wednesday night. Chris Yancey, are you in the room right now? Chris Yancey's going to come up on stage. I think he's on this morning. The guy who's standing right here is going to host the baptism class this week. We'll sign you up in the four if you need to be baptized. Uh, if you need to come and just join by another way, come. A new member class is coming in a few weeks. We'll hook you up with all of that. But if you're ready, there's Chris Yancey right there. Leads our baptism class and, and one of the people who lead our Discover Cornerstone group. Find Chris. Find the welcome desk. They'll help you. If you want to join this morning, come and see me. Let's stand together. I'm going to word a prayer. And we're going to thank God for the wonderful thing he's done for us. And we're going to close in a song if you need to make a decision. Susan, come up here and join me real quick. And uh, we'll meet you if you need to, to be a part of our family. Father, right now, I pray my, uh, your blessings upon this room, upon this group of people assembled here. Father, we've had a mental journey that has stretched our thinking this morning. Lord, we've gone from New Testament to Old and back again trying to understand what you've made. Uh, Father, forgive us. For, for, show me grace where I've got it wrong. And Lord, enlighten us where we need to grow. But Father, our understanding this morning is you have sent ministers to help us and protect us so that we would not be distracted by all that's going on in the, in the universe, but we'd be focused on the mission of living out the life of Christ and making disciples right here. Lord, I pray that that great focus and clarity would come upon all the people this morning and we'd understand exactly, we'd see just so with such clear spiritual eyes what we are called to do. And we're not called to know everything or fight every battle. You're fighting those things for us right now. God, we just want to worship before you this morning and say thank you. Lord, we're understanding that you've thought it all out. You've planned it all out. You've given us protection. You've not left us alone. You'll never leave us nor forsake us. You're with us always, even to the end of the world. God, we worship you this morning because of that. Lord, you've done so many wonderful things for us, and we're coming just now to understand many of them. And Lord, I have no idea how many things you do for me and these people in a day, and we're completely oblivious to it, just ignorant to it. God, I'm sorry that we're not more attuned and we're not more awake to what you're doing. Forgive us of that because so much more praise and worship needs to come back to you and we're just neglectful to do it. God, forgive us of that because this morning we're just confessing that. Father, help us to focus on the mission. Thank you for your love and care. God, for those who need to join and be a part of us in these next few weeks, Lord, you, you lead them to that decision that you want them to make. Lord, I rejoice in those who've received Christ even this week. God, I just thank you for working in the lives of these men and women. Lord, thank you for working in my life 
and in my family. God, may all your will be accomplished in us. Lord, you taught us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. Here at Cornerstone, here in our lives, even as it is in heaven. Lord, help us to live that out. That's our prayer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.